You braved the, uh, the cold, the one day of winter or two days of winter here in Central Florida. Thank you for joining us uh, at an Action Church Christmas this evening. Uh, we're gonna get to candlelight uh, in just a moment. I know a lot of you just came to get some cocoa, light a candle and take an Instagram picture. And so I'm gonna get out of the way. I got one verse and a few thoughts this evening. Uh, our verse is Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, where it says, for unto us, a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, our, our Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Isaiah is writing this 700 years before Jesus would come into the scene. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph in a manger. 700 years, he predicts this, he prophesies this coming Messiah. It's basically the worst and longest save the date in the history of the world. 700 years. Great news, but a terrible save the date. You ever gotten a save the date that's like way out in advance? First year's the church, I got a save the date for a wedding three years from that day. I don't know if I'm gonna like you in three years. I don't know if I'm gonna know you in three years. Three years from that, who was that? No, a great announcement, but a terrible save the date. For unto us a child is born, unto us a uh, a son is given. We also have a, a baby announcement and a gender reveal right here in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. And I wanna have a little fun uh, as we get started on this Christmas Eve message. We got a, a few pictures I wanna show you of some of the worst or funniest uh, baby announcements and gender reveals. We like to have fun at Action Church. One of our values is we make it hard for people to go to hell by making it fun to go to church. So if you're new here, just joining us, if you don't like to have fun, you're gonna hate it. And so... Two things, if you hate fun, you're gonna hate it, and if you're easily offended, you're gonna hate it. So hello, goodbye, we'll see you in heaven. Um, I have a few pictures, baby announcements and gender reveals. This is the first, a little cute, baby shark, coming March 2020, do, 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 do. Next one, team, next one. This one's a little bit creepy, it's, it hasn't gotten better. We've just, uh, I just don't, I don't understand how that came to fruition. Like. That should have got cut in the creative meeting. You know what I mean? Here's the next one. Here's the next one. Christmas, baby dude, 12, 25, 20. A lot going on here. Let's, let's highlight it. Mom and dad did not practice social distancing. There's a pregnancy test in the tree, and that's a little creepy. Um, that's a little weird, but it all makes sense when you read the bottom sign. I'm from this place, so I can make fun of it. OBGYN of West Alabama. And so it actually all... All makes sense there at the end. Here's some gender reveals for us. Now that's just excessive. <laughs> that is a bomb, that's an explosion. This is not a political statement, but you know these are big believers in the Second Amendment. <laughs> like, you know they own a lot of guns at that house. Speaking of guns, here's the next one. Here's the next one. Yeah, that's just, I'm not trying to be offensive, that's just super redneck. That's just the most redneck thing. <laughs> And I can say that because my family are rednecks. That's the most redneck thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Let's keep going. Let's make fun of some Florida people. Florida man, Google Florida man if you wanna have some fun. This is ridiculous. This is not safe. This is insanity. And this is a picture of a lot of people in Central Florida. Just, that's an eight foot gator at a gender reveal. That's so stupid. Last one, pray for this little girl. Yeah, mom turned it upside down and now that child needs therapy and hates their sibling for the rest of their life. Like. Baby announcements and, and gender reveals. Isaiah's announcing this coming king, this coming savior, this Messiah. But the Jewish people, God's chosen people, they, they missed it. They actually thought the prophecy was about someone else. In fact, they didn't think it was 700 years away. They thought it was just a generation away fulfilled. 
by King Hezekiah. And we're gonna talk about him in just a moment. But I kinda wanna debunk, debunk something here in our last service. And it's this idea that we have it worse than any other generation. You know, if, I, if you talk to some quote unquote paranoid Christians right now, Pastor, what are we gonna do with like the news and the world and the evil and the economy? The world's never seen anything like this. No, it's actually seen this in every single generation. Since the beginning of time, the fall of humanity in the garden, when sin entered the world, our enemy, which is real, is not a creator. He just keeps reusing the same tools over and over and over again. Children have been targeted. The, the, the easy, easy targets in the world, people have been manipulated, people have been abused, people have been, all, all of the stuff that we see all over the world is not new. Far too often, the enemy wants to get us scared and frightful because of what are we gonna do? And, and God has shown himself faithful through generations that look just like ours. In fact, when Isaiah chapter nine, King Ahaz is the king and he's an evil king, killing people, destroying people. He actually shut down the temple and Luke chapter two, in Jesus' time, 700 years later, we have King Herod, king of the Jews at the time and ruling over the Jews and he is killing babies and he's uh, a part of all sorts of of evil things, it's not new, it's just new to us. And here's what's going on here in context where the Jewish people thought that Hezekiah was the Messiah that, that Isaiah was talking about. His father, like we just spoke about, King Ahaz, was known as a terrible king. He had nailed the temple doors shut and encouraged idolatry. Well, King Hezekiah, he opened the temple doors and he cleansed the temple. Remember that as we talk about Jesus in just a moment. He cleansed the temple by destroying the religious relics that had become idols, and he reestablished the importance of worship. This brought about revival throughout the land, and along with that came God's blessing and protection. The Jewish people believe that Isaiah 9, 6 is referencing faithful King Hezekiah. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, before or after. That's not opinion, that's written in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse five. They put their faith in a man who imperfectly fulfilled these prophecies 700 years before Jesus perfectly fulfilled them. Let me unpack that for a second. King Hezekiah was a great man, a phenomenal king. So many things written about his accolades, about the things that he provided, his care for the people, the things he did for the people of God, reopening the temple, even building water sources throughout Jerusalem so that when times of war, they would have a water source, all leading to the pool of Shalom, which Jesus did miracles in the New Testament. All sorts of good things, great things that Hezekiah did. But he was an imperfect fulfillment to what God wanted to do. He is living proof that good things can never be God things. You can't settle for good. See, the Jewish people in their heritage have settled for Hezekiah as a Messiah, but he didn't die for them, he didn't live for them. He did a lot of good things in this world, but none of his impacts were eternal. Right. You cannot settle for a good earthly impact when God has called us to make an eternal. Amen. I love the generosity of our church. I love that we've given away millions of dollars. I love the Christmas store, but the number we celebrate is not 2,000 kids provided for. The number we celebrate is 259 people who met Jesus because we're not just trying to solve an earthly problem. Thank you for the State of the Union smattering of applause. Like, no, seriously, no, get it later. We'll get it right later, you can do better. No, seriously, we've stopped short at just good things. We settle for success, we settle for good relationships, we settle for charity or 
social justice. We settle for these things, and God is calling us not to settle for imperfect fulfillments, but perfect fulfillment. That only comes in and through a relationship with Jesus. There's nothing in this world that will fulfill you. There's nothing in this world that will fill the void of purpose and love and relationship that you need outside of a relationship with Jesus. There'll be a lot of good things. There'll be a lot of good times. I'm not saying it won't be enjoyable, you won't be successful, that you won't be somewhat fulfilled. I'm just saying it's an imperfect fulfillment of what God has designed. In Luke 4, Jesus reads a scroll of Isaiah and claims in front of the synagogue that he is actually the perfect fulfillment of that scripture. In doing so, he's claiming to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah, including being the perfect Messiah who completed what Hezekiah began. See, Jesus entered the world during the time of a terrible King Herod. We talked about that earlier. Jesus also cleansed the temple and was known for questioning religious leaders of the day. Through the nails in his hands, he restored true worship and ripped the veil of the temple in half, showing that through his resurrection, we can now enter the presence of God. See, in the Old Testament, a priest from the tribe of Levi would have to enter into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. And what Jesus did through his life, his death, and his resurrection is he tore that veil. Why is that important? Because that veil kept us out of the presence of God. What Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did when he entered humanity is he made it, this relationship with God, this redemption or this reconciliation with God is no longer dictated on going to a place and doing a list of things, but now a person has replaced the place of how we have relationship with God. He takes it a step further. In 70 AD, the temple is destroyed for forever. And I believe, along with many scholars, that God allowed that to happen so that he would try and recapture his chosen people who missed the son, the Messiah Jesus, and let them know it's not about the place. It's not about the institution. It's not about the ritual. It's not about the building. It's not about the tradition. It's about the person of Jesus. You cannot settle for another person. You cannot settle for a place. There is nothing important about these four walls. There is nothing important about this church. What's important is what it's built on, and that's a relationship with Jesus. It's just Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I want to talk about these four things just for a moment. Just a couple minutes on each of them. Wonderful counselor. God is so full of wisdom. Jesus, the second part of the Trinity, so full of wisdom. But that's not the most accurate definition of this wonderful counselor in the Hebrew. It's actually a word that we translated wondrous or wonders. So you can take that like miraculous, that Jesus was an operator in the miraculous or in Wonders that there was something that he carried. There was a power that he carried that was out of this world. It was supernatural. When it came to the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, it was marked by healings and miracles and him showing up and changing things. And we see in Isaiah so many prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament. In fact, I have eight listed here. We don't have time in this service to get through them, but there's eight that I found just in these couple passages in which, which Isaiah prophesied it, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that Jesus fulfilled it to the exact detail. Our relationship with Jesus is meant to be relational. It's meant to be a 
experience. It's meant to connect with our emotions. If you've ever had an experience with God, you, you could go back to that experience and you could say, you just wouldn't believe what he did for me. It is a relational thing. It's a faith thing. It's an authentic thing. But I believe that this Jesus thing, this Christianity thing, it doesn't just check the faith box, the emotional box. I believe it checks the mental box as well. I believe if you're analyzing the, the most probable religion, quote unquote, or the, the one that's the, least, the easiest to trust, the less likely to be false, I believe it's gotta be Christianity. Because everything else is based off of what somebody said or what somebody did or, or followers. This Christianity thing that we ascribe to, there was people hearing from God that predicted what would happen hundreds and thousands of years later, and then not only biblically, but historically, we have proof that it was perfected and lived out exactly how they said it was going to be. It's not a coincidence, it's mathematically impossible. I believe this Jesus entering the scene fulfills all the different ways in which we check off the box of is this believable, can I trust this thing? In fact, let me say it like this, I think it takes more faith not to believe in God than to believe in God. I actually think the other options take more faith. You say, well, I'm not a faith person. Okay, I don't need you to be a faith person quite yet. It is by faith that you are saved. We'll get you there, but just let's go through the brain first. You walk me through what you believe happened with creation and the history of the world, and I believe your dots connect way more loosely than mine do. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I've got just enough faith to believe that God is who he says he is and did what he says he did and he can do. And there's biblical context and there's historical context to prove it. Isaiah 9, 6, he is wonderful counselor. Here's the second one. He is mighty God. God. I love the New King James Version. It says, almighty God. And it's my favorite one out of these four. Now, spending time preparing and reading about this almighty God and talking to some of the team and reading some commentaries. I wanna read you what I was working through on my computer in my own time with God because I don't wanna miss it. I want you to capture and you to, to get what I believe God spoke to me. Let's think about the second name of God here for a moment this evening. His name shall be called Mighty God. Just let that soak in for a second. He's Almighty God. This is not a normal child. This is not a normal son. This is God in the flesh. This is the astounding miracle of Christmas. In fact, I think it's the most astounding miracle in all of the Bible. Greater than the resurrection of the dead, greater than the calming of the winds and the waves, greater than the multiplication of the fish and the loaves to feed thousands of people. I believe the greatest miracle in all of the Bible for you and for me is that a perfect, infinite, fully content all by himself, God would make himself flesh to come and qualify himself to have a relationship with you. You couldn't qualify, so he had to qualify for you. He didn't need to, he wanted to. And the greatest news in all of the gospel is that God saw a need from you and from me and he filled it. And if you think about it, if he's fully God, it doesn't make the miracle surprising. They're no longer hard to believe. How could that happen? He's God. He created the whole 
universe, the heavens and the earth, of course he could heal a body that he created. Of course he could restore a mind that he created. The greatest miracle is that God made himself flesh. It's great news. Some maybe less great news for, for some of us is that he is almighty God, which means he's God and you're not. And you don't like that because you like to be in control. But you're not. But God, I don't like that. But God, I don't agree with that. But God, I don't feel like that's true. He doesn't care. You have kids? You may have kids in here? You ever have them say, Dad, I'm not going to wear that. Put it on. I don't care. Dad, I'm not going to eat that. Shut up and eat it. If as a human, talking to our tiny little humans, we can tell them, we just do what I said, you don't think when we say that stuff to God who created us, that he's like, I don't care. Your opinion of God doesn't change the fact that he's God and you're not. The good news is he cares about your opinion. He cares about your doubts and fears. He cares about your questions. He cares about your feelings. They just don't change who he is. They don't change what he's done. They don't change what his word says. Our feelings don't change God. Well, I don't feel like that's how God would be. God decided who he's gonna be and he wrote a couple thousand pages through his Holy Spirit and through the authors of scripture and lets us know that he's God all by himself. And we either follow or we separate. It's the only two options. When our opinions differ from the word of God, we either change the word of God to match ours or we change what we're believed to match his. And only one of those gets us inheritance in eternity. The other one gets us the bill for all the mistakes that we've made. You can believe what you believe. You can do what you want to do, but then you will pay for that for eternity. That got a little heavier than the other services. I apologize. I don't apologize. It's the gospel, but I just wanted to soften it for a second. He's almighty God. Here's the next one. He's everlasting father. It's a relational aspect of Jesus. But it's not really paternal. It's more of an eternal. Everlasting in the Hebrew would mean eternal. Father, a direct translation of the original language in Hebrew, would be, be more of like a, a, an author or an originator. That Jesus, we already have a father in God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But this, this everlasting father talking about Jesus, the coming Messiah, is that he's the originator. He's the starter. It's, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That is talking about Jesus. This word father here is only one of five times it's mentioned in the Old Testament. Five times this word for, for father or originator is mentioned, and a lot of theologians and and scholars believe this is the introduction to the Trinity, to the, the triune being of God. We're gonna talk more about that this summer as we talk about the Holy Spirit and as we talk about the Trinity. This everlasting Father is the relational aspect, that God is big enough and powerful enough to be mighty God, but that he's personal enough to be an originator, not only of the story, but of your story as well. I need you to know that he is all powerful, but he is very, very personal. And he loves you so much. He is everlasting father. And here's the last one. Maybe the most practical one for us. 
this Christmas Eve. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. The word here is shalom. God's peace is different than earthly peace. God's peace is complete. It's harmony, it's lacking nothing. It's loyal. There's a difference in godly peace and earthly peace. You can have earthly peace. You can. You can find it. But oftentimes, earthly peace is dictated on something else. There are things in your life that bring you peace. We're, we're in a group, in a room full of Floridians probably. Most of you or some of you would say, what's a peaceful place? Maybe the beach. I love the beach. You're like, Pastor, I love the beach. I love sunsets, I love sunrise, I love the waves, the sounds. I hate the beach. It's not peace, it's hell on earth. <laughs> Salt, sand, sunburn, lots of people. It's not peaceful, it's stressful. You ever taken little kids to the beach? You're not like, oh, this is fun. You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what it is for you where you find peace. Maybe it's in a person. Maybe it's in a setting. Maybe it's in a season. Maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe it's a hobby. I don't know, maybe it's a vacation spot. I don't know. But you find peace on earth. 100%. The problem with earthly peace, though, church, is that earthly peace is always tethered or attached to something, someone, some place. And when you leave that setting, when you leave that season, when you leave that someone, your peace oftentimes doesn't go with you. The difference in a godly peace, this prince of peace, this shalom, this completeness, is it's not attached to something other than God. So you take that peace that is tethered to his character and his power and his place in your life, and then regardless of what season, setting, scenario, or which someone you're with, you have the peace of God. Amen. The peace of God surpasses all understanding. It's how you can walk through a season and people say, how are you getting through that grief? How are you getting through that loss? How are you getting through that relational uh, dysfunction? How are you getting through the situation with your kids or the struggles in your mental health? Whatever it is, how, how are you getting through that so full of peace and joy? And you say, I don't know. That's a fine answer. Because in fact, Philippians tells us that when we stop worrying about every, anything, pray about everything, God will give us a peace, shalom, that surpasses all understanding. It's why we can walk through things differently. It's why we can approach things differently because our peace isn't tethered to something or someone, it's tethered to Almighty God. Amen. Everlasting Father, wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. You know, I grew up in church and I always skipped the first few lines of this verse. I heard this verse thousands of times. I always skipped the first few lines of this verse and went straight to the wonderful counselor Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I, I missed the first few things. And I mean, like I really grew up in church, like, like pendants and ribbons for like perfect attendance. Like they're five weeks old. Like we went to church on vacation. Like we found a church in our denomination on vacation. I did Bible drill at eight years old. I don't know if you know anything about Bible drill. If you grew up in the Baptist church, it's where you had to memorize all these verses and you had to find stuff in the Bible and you stood in a line with your polo on and a huge emblem that was super itchy. It left a rash on you. And about 500 people in the church would all look at you and you just, I've never felt more anxiety. Like if I don't get this Bible verse right, God is gonna strike me down right here. And I'll be really honest, I cheated at Bible drill. There was 20 of us lined up and when you knew the verse or you found the scripture, you'd step forward. And I'll be really honest, I stepped forward every single time. 
If you didn't have it or you didn't know it, you stayed back there, not me. I knew I had a 95% chance of them not picking me. I played that game every single time. Number one in Bible drill. I feel a lot of judgment in here, Pastor Eddie. I was eight. A lot of church. I missed these first few verses. There's something so relational, so full of the gospel here in this first phrase of Isaiah 9-6. In this baby announcement. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Any baby announcement, you would have the list of the family members. You'd have the list of the mom and dad. It would be for unto Mary and Joseph. But that's not this announcement. The great news of the gospel is for unto, unto a certain people group, unto a certain family, unto a certain background. That's not the gospel. It's for unto us. Like all of us. If us is inclusive, that means you. Regardless of where you've been, what you've said, what you've done, for unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. Unto you grace is given. Unto you redemption is given. Unto you mercy is given. Unto you salvation is available. It's not for somebody else, it's for you. Well, Pastor, I don't deserve it. None of us do. Romans 5 is as true for me as it is for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you, for unto us, this gift is given. Will we receive it? I don't know. A lot of us disqualify, our, disqualify ourselves from receiving it because we want to earn it. We wanna figure it out, we wanna fix it. I'll, I'll get this church thing, I'll get this God thing when I figure some things out. That's not the game. You couldn't do anything to earn this. You can't earn a gift, that's why it's a gift. Others of us have disqualified ourselves by what we've done. We're carrying the, the weight of our past, the weight of our sin, the weight of our shame, the weight of our mistakes. Things that we've said, things that we've done. I don't know if you're carrying religion or work ethic or trying to make it right. I don't know if you're carrying sin, shame, mistakes. I don't know what it is, but it just feels like you're heavy. You're carrying it all third line of this verse, the government will rest upon his shoulders. The power will rest upon his shoulders. The whole world will rest upon his shoulders. If Jesus can handle the weight of the whole world, don't you think he has enough room for your world? Yeah, we're carrying it. Both striving and suffering. We're carrying it. And if you didn't come for any other reason tonight than to hear, you just don't have to carry it alone anymore. A son was given. A child was born. A man grew up who was fully God and fully man and did for you what you could never do for yourself. You don't have to carry it alone anymore. You can give it to him. He cares. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. He's big enough and powerful enough to help you, but he's personal enough to care about every detail. Come on, he is wonderful counselor, God of miracles. He is almighty God. He can do anything he wants to do. Big and powerful. 
Yet he's personal, he's everlasting father. It's a relationship. And if you need it, we all do, he's the Prince of Peace. How do we gain access to this? We've gotta give him access to us. How do we do that? We surrender. The Bible calls it repentance. Romans 10 says, if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we can start a relationship with him. So before we get to candlelight, before we close out our time together, I'd love to pray with you here the last service of the week. It really set up a moment. Not that the sermon set up, not that a message set up, but the Holy Spirit had an appointment for you this evening. And there's something going on on the inside of you. And you know that today is the last day you carried along. You're gonna give your life to Jesus. I'd love to pray with you in just a moment. If everyone would bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna lead you in a moment, a moment with God. I believe more than anything else, he had a meeting with you this evening in this auditorium and online as well. And we've talked about it. I don't need to, to clear it up anymore that Jesus lived for you, died as you, raised a new life to give you victory. The cross gives you access to forgiveness and grace, salvation. The resurrection gives you access to victory in this life and the next. But there's a moment where you have to give him control. And if you wanna do that this evening, I'd love to pray with you. Again, this is not something anybody else could do for you. This is not about joining a church or joining a religion. This is about surrendering control of your life to the Lordship of Jesus. The crazy thing is when you surrender, you're not giving up, you're actually gaining. You're gaining access to the best relationship in the world, power in this life and the assurance of a life with him for eternity. If you wanna make that decision today, I'd love to pray with you. For some of you, it's for the first time ever. Others of you, it's a recommitment. It's a, it's a fresh start. If that's you, say, Pastor Justin, count me in. I, I want to receive Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I, I need the wonderful counselor, the everlasting Father, the almighty God, the Prince of Peace. And I know that that starts with me surrendering. And I wanna surrender my life to Jesus tonight. I wanna, for the first time ever, commit to him or recommit to him. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. We got one, two, three on the front row. Got you, man. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Come on, raise it high till I see you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got you, buddy. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yep, in the stadium. Yep, a couple more. A couple more brief moments. Holy Spirit speaking to you. You know this is your moment. This is your time. Come on, we, we did all of this for this moment so that you could have a chance to get things right with your Creator. Yeah. It's awesome. You put your hands down. If you raise your hand, would you pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud, say this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'm saved only by your grace. And God, I do. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the Lord. Jesus, have that place in my life. I repent for my sins. Thank you for saving me. Now, God, I pray for all of us this evening. God, I pray peace over families, have peace over hearts, peace over minds. In a stressful season or a busy season or a season of loss, I just pray shalom, peace that surpasses all understanding. God, we thank you for meeting us here this evening. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody at Action Church said amen. 
and amen. Church, can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made? So proud of you.